Do you know that to be true? He's with you. You know, God isn't some distant being out in the middle of nowhere that has no thought, no desire, no interaction with us. He's here. He's with us. He knows everything going on in our lives. That's really important right now because this is a time apparently that a lot of people are hurting. You know, I I go around and I'm I'm in a lot of different places here at the church and I'm involved in the community through the Chamber of Commerce and I work with the fire departments and a lot of different things, but I'm finding a trend. When I'm going around and I'm saying hi to folks, you know how you usually say, hi, how you doing? And the response usually is, I'm doing fine. Even if it's cliche conversation, well, I'm not hearing that nowadays. More and more as I greet people, I'm saying, how you doing? They're looking back at me with that kind of deer in the headlight look and saying, not real good, Pete. Things aren't going real well for me right now. Things are tough right now. And I'm finding that more and more and more and more. I want to talk about for the next two weeks is finding hope for when life hits hard. Now, you know, for those of us who are believers, and this message primarily is going to be for believers today, but but it'll be relevant to anybody who's here today. God has been very honest with us, and Scripture is very honest with us, that life is not always going to go well. That life is going to be challenging. Hard times are going to come. And I love that about God, that he doesn't blue sky us. And he doesn't think, well, if you follow me and you come to church, everything's going to be great in your life. That's not how it works, and he doesn't say that. In fact, one of his chief disciples, the leader of his earthly disciples, Peter, declared this in his New Testament letter that we call 1 Peter. In chapter 4, verse 12, says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Right off the bat, you know, Peter says, listen, the hard times come. Well, well, don't think that that's unusual. Don't think, you know, don't say, well, why is this happening? Where is this coming from? He said, that's nothing strange in life. He said, in fact, you can expect that. James The half-brother of Jesus goes on to say this incredible thing in his New Testament book called James, chapter 1, verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He goes on to say, not only is it going to happen, but when it happens, consider it joy. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Because if you're going through a hard time right now, I don't think you'd characterize your experience in life right now with the word joy. But understand... When James is talking about that, he's not talking about euphoria. He's not talking about emotion. He's talking about a state of being. He's talking about consistency. He's talking about faith. Jesus himself in Matthew 4, 54, in that first book in the New Testament, Matthew's biography of the life and teaching of Jesus, Jesus said this. He said, he causes his son to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, talking about his father God. He says, you know, you know, God lets the sun shine on, on the righteous and the unrighteous. And then God sends a rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, so, so it's going to happen. So what we need to do is understanding that God said hard times are going to come. And so the hard time that you're having right now, don't be surprised by it. And in fact, now is an opportunity to look for joy. And you say, well, how in the world do I do that? Now, that's what we're going to talk about. That's the question that we're going to answer. Now, as we enter into this idea of finding hope, first of all and foremost, we need to remember five 
critical divine truths about God. Now, you, you can't go anywhere until you get this. There's five things about God that are consistent. Five things about God that are unchanging. Five things about God that you can always depend on. And that's where you start. When hard times come, you go back to these five things first before you do anything else. The first thing is that God is love. 1 John 4.16 says, and we know, and we what? Rely on the love of God. And then it says this, God is love. That doesn't say God acts lovingly, God is benevolent, God's gracious. It says what? God is love. Now we've got to understand that. See, we've got to understand it for two important reasons. Number one is that God will never act outside of his nature. And his nature is love. God is always acting in love. Now, sometimes we don't think he is, and sometimes we even read the Bible, and we go, how could that be God's love? And we don't understand it, but one day we will. The second reason it's so important to nail this down, that God is love, is because that's the first place that Satan's going to attack you when a hard time comes. Satan's going to, in that little still voice, in that little presence that he has in your life, he's going to whisper in your ear, see, God doesn't love you. If God loved you, why would he let this happen to you? If God was a God of love, why would he allow this happen in the world? See, that's Satan's primary attack against mankind, is try to get us to believe that God is not love. That's why it's so important. Right off the bat, when the hard time comes, just stop and say, God, you are love. And so whatever's going on right now, I know that you are acting out of your intrinsic nature, and this is an act of love. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter again, that one of those original 12 disciples, reminds us to be self-controlled and alert. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I mean, Satan's always looking to take you down. He's looking to take me down. He's always out there at work. He never rests. And who do you think he's going to attack? Someone who's confident and joyful and full of peace and, and, and trusting God and reading his word and serving him and all that. No, he's going to wait until we've been hit by life. He's going to wait until we're rattled, when we're a little less secure, when, when, when we're vulnerable to him coming and saying, you know what, God don't love you. See, then he's going to pounce on us. So when life hits, know two things. One, Satan is going to be there whispering into your ear. And number two, don't believe him because it's a lie. God is love. Another important principle to remember is that God is always at work around us. Look at another really important scripture. They're all important. This one written by Paul, that great convert to Christianity, in his letter to the Ephesians, another New Testament book. In Ephesians 1.11, reminds us, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined, now look what it says, according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, what Paul is saying is that God has a master plan, and God is always working out things in conformity with that plan. That plan supersedes the plan of man. That supersedes my plan for my life. God is working out a plan, and that plan will be ultimately realized. He will impose that plan. 
Now, I know that sounds egotistical on God's part. Many people believe that about God, that, that he's some kind of a cosmic killjoy up there. But that's why, number one, so important. Because while we're understanding that God is making his will done and God will bring everything in conformity with his plan, his plan is motivated by what? By love. It's motivated by love. Now, God's purpose in the hardship that you may be experiencing right now may or may not have anything to do with you. Now, it may have something to do. When a hardship comes, one of the first things we do is, oh, what did I do, God? What did I do? I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, God. This. And it may be that we have done something wrong. Maybe we are living in intentional sin. And the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that God will chastise. He'll discipline those he calls sons. And so the first thing, yeah, when something goes wrong, we do need to do a self-evaluation. Say, okay, God, have I stepped out of line? And if so, what do we need to do? We need to come back. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So, so step one, yeah, we need to check. Maybe, maybe there's something's going wrong in our life. And we need to confess that and we need to get back right with God. Or it might not be that we've done something wrong. Maybe God is just now entering your life in a way that he's going to teach you something new about him. He's going to teach you new, something new about life. He, he's going to take you to a place that you've not been before in a reality of his word and his relationship with you. But other times, God is working around us. Remember Noah built the ark? Remember that story? Well, what was that all about? Well, it wasn't about Noah. It wasn't about Noah. It wasn't about his family. It was about what God was doing in the universe. It was about what God was doing to fulfill his master plan. It was about what God was doing to make a major Course correction for humankind. And Noah was just the vehicle that he used to do it. Remember Moses. Great story of Moses. Great leader of God's, of God's people. And how he was miraculously raised in the house of Pharaoh. And then came to the knowledge that he was really a Hebrew. And, and ultimately uh, killed an Egyptian and had to flee into Midian. And he stayed there in the backside of the desert for 40 years, and he had a wife and kids and all that, and he was just living life. He was going on with life. And all of a sudden, God caused a burning bush on a mountain not to be consumed, and it drew his attention. And he went there, and God said, Moses, now you're going back to Egypt, and you take back this message to Pharaoh, let my people go. No longer are my people going to be in slavery in Egypt. I'm getting ready to liberate them, and you're going to be the leader. Now, what did that have to do with Moses? It wasn't about what, he, what God was doing with Moses. It was about what God was doing for Israel. And Moses was the vehicle. Take Jesus himself. On the night he was betrayed, we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying to God with such anxiety, knowing what is about to happen, that the Bible says he was sweating drops of blood. And he's praying to God, God, if there's any way for this cup to pass from me, if there's any other way that this could be done, God, let this cup pass from me, please, God, let this pass. Three times he prays that. Now, was God being unloving to his own son? Was God being mean and unkind? No. See, but it wasn't about Jesus. It was about what God was doing to provide salvation for all of mankind. Now, God may never work so demonstratively in my life or your life in bringing us into that level of his conformity with his plan. 
but mark it down. Often the hardship that we're experiencing isn't about us. It's about someone else God is reaching out to. Paul, again, writing now to believers in Corinth in his second letter that we call 2 Corinthians chapter 1 in the New Testament also. Beginning in verse 3 says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now look what it says. Who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Overflows where? Where's our comfort overflow? Others. See, here's what God is often doing. God is allowing me to go through a hardship. God is allowing you to go through a hardship so that we have an intimate understanding of that particular life hardship. Somewhere then, it's not about us, it's about preparing us to reach out to other people who are going to have that same hardship, visit them. Maybe someone who doesn't have the faith that you have, or maybe someone who has no faith in God at all. And God is going to have you intersect with their life journey so that you can use the comfort that God gave you during that time you were going through it, or maybe that you're going through it now simultaneously with them to reach out and reach that person. So it's not about you. It's about who God is trying to reach through you. See, so when hardship comes, understand that God's at work around you. And, and if you've checked yourself, and it's not because of, of rebelliousness, and this isn't chastisement, and, and, and you, you, uh, uh, you can't figure it out, start looking around you and say, okay, God, who are you bringing me into contact with? See, you can't authentically relate to someone else's tragic experience if you haven't really lived it. You can be empathetic. I can be empathetic with those who have lost a spouse. must be a really tough experience, but I've never lost a spouse. I, I can be empathetic with a parent who's lost a child, who's, who's died before them, and no parent wants their, their, their child to, to die before they do, but I can't really understand that experience, but those who have can. And so when I go to somebody and I say, I know how you feel, they're thinking, no, you don't. You don't have a clue how I feel. But when someone who's gone through that experience goes through it and says, I know how you feel, they go, yeah, you do. How'd you get through it? See, and then God allows us to use the comfort that he gave us to comfort them. See, God's always at work around us. Another important principle is God's perspective is vital. God's perspective is what really counts. Isaiah 55, 8, God speaking through the Old Testament prophet Isaiah declares this. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. What's God saying is simply this. He's saying, don't try to figure me out. And don't try to figure out what I'm doing. Because my thoughts aren't your thoughts. You don't think like I think. My ways are not your ways. You would do things differently. Don't try to connect the dots because it's not going to make sense from your perspective. See, God sees what we can't see. God knows what we don't know. God has a whole different perspective than we do. And we just can't make any sense of what God's doing. We can't make any sense of, of, of why our life is so upside down. But God has total sense of it. His perspective is absolutely vital. 
You may remember a story that is told often about a missionary who went to a foreign field. On that field one day, he was visiting the the town square, and he saw some women at work doing something with cloth and thread and all that kind of stuff, and he he, he looked at, 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 the, at what they were doing, and, and he said to the person that was with him, one of the nays, he said, man, I don't want to be insulting, but that is the ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. It, it's got no form. It's got no purpose. It's, it's strings are hanging out everywhere. What in the world is that? And then the companion went over and he said, said something to the women, and the women flipped that thing over, and it was a beautiful tapestry. See, from the bottom of the tapestry, it didn't make any sense. It had no form. It had no purpose. It had no beauty. It was all just a bunch of threads all mixed in there and threads hanging out. and It was ugly. It was distorted. But from the other side, it was beautiful. See, we live this life looking at the bottom side of a beautiful tapestry that God is creating One day we'll see it from his perspective. See, God sees world history as one seamless, beautiful tapestry. And we play a part as a little thread, a little part of that tapestry that we can't see right now. But one day we'll see it all. And his perspective will come true. And we'll know, you know, God, wow, you are amazing. God, you got it just right. You did it just right. And that's why when even international things don't make sense to us, and why is that happening? Why would God allow that to happen? We're looking at the bottom of that tapestry. It doesn't make any sense to us. It has no beauty, no purpose. But God's perspective brings it all alive. And understand the same is true in your life. Right now you're looking at your life and you're looking at this circumstance and you're saying, I don't get it. It makes no sense. What purpose could this possibly serve? Well, God's whispering right now to you through his word. He's saying, don't don't worry. Don't come unglued. I've got it under control. I know what I'm doing. And one day, you're going to see a beautiful tapestry. See, God's perspective is vital. God's timing is perfect. We saw that in the birth of Jesus. We see how God's timing was perfect in the birth of Jesus. Galatians, Paul now writing to to the Galatians, another New Testament letter. He wrote most of the New Testament. And in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 through 5, Paul reminds us, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of woman, under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. In other words, at just the right time, God sent Jesus into the world. Now remember, God prophesied that he was going to do that in the garden when Adam and Eve fell into sin. He said, I'm going to send through the seed of woman, a conqueror. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the world waited for Messiah to come. The Jewish people, after being formed as a a people in Genesis chapter 12, when God called Abraham, they were looking for the Messiah. They were looking for the Redeemer. They were looking for the, the divine king to come. And make his presence and his power on earth known. 
And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years passed. At any time during those hundreds and hundreds of years, God could have sent his son. But he waited for the perfect moment. Do you know that Jesus came at the perfect historical time? For, for, for one thing, he came at the only time in history that crucifixion was used as a means of capital punishment in the form that it was used. All the, the prophecies, uh, Psalm 22, that graphically de- depict the Messiah hanging on the cross and, and them parting uh, uh, his garments and sparing him in the side and all his bones out of, all this kind of stuff. Isaiah chapter 53, hundreds and hundreds of years before it happened. To fit precisely those descriptions, crucifixion had to be used in precisely the manner that it was used. So when the time fully came, God sent his son. Also, it was at that time that there was one world empirical power, Rome. And so there was one universal language that was used. Rome used the Greek language as the universal language, although they spoke Latin. And so the gospel, which was written in Greek, could go through the entire world, and the entire world would understand that language. It was the perfect sociological time. Roman historians, Jewish historians, ancient uh, from the East Asian historians, all documented that at the time Jesus was born, the entire world was poised. They were waiting for some great king, some great leader to come out of, get this, Judah, to come out of Israel. The wise men coming to Jesus Everything was precisely at the right moment. And God said, now is the time. When trouble comes to us, oftentimes one of our first responses as believers who get what we've talked about so far and say, okay, God, I get it. Hard times are going to come on us all. I get it, God. But why now? Has anyone noticed or is it just me that hard times come at the worst time? Anybody ever notice that, huh? I mean, why now, God? I can't lose my job now. I just signed a mortgage. I, I, I can't get sick now. God, I just started a new job. I don't have any vacation, no sick time. I, why now, God? Whatever it is. Why now? It never comes at a good time. But God's timing is perfect. Stella and I got married in uh, August of uh, 1976. And we were both going to college at the time, and we were living in little, what they called the married dorms on the campus. And my scholarship for those ran out, so we, we decided we were going to move out in the economy. And so we went and found ourselves a nice little apartment, and you know, we were like all newlyweds, you know, in love, and we were doing our thing. And we got paint and painted up this new apartment, so it was just perfect. Well, still, I kept getting sick, and I, I kept thinking, man, something's wrong. Man, I thought she had an ulcer or something. And finally, I said one day, I said, we're going to the doctor. I said, this is enough of this. We got, something's wrong with you. So we went to the doctor, and she went back into the room, and I'm sitting out in the waiting room. I'm reading a magazine. And after what seemed like an inordinate amount of time, and I'm thinking, man, man, God, I can't lose my wife now. And I'll, you know, I was really, like, really running all the scenarios. And all of a sudden, she comes out, and she goes up to the desk to pay the bill. And the lady behind the register says, well, at least you're not pregnant. What? And then Stella said, but the doctor said I am. 
This is how I found out about my firstborn. <laughs> Sitting in the waiting room. I was in college. I was making 60 bucks a week. We had just moved into an apartment that didn't allow children. I had no hospitalization. No money for a baby. God, you've got to be kidding. Now? We were taking protection, but no science could stand off my guys. Our plan was we were going to wait five years before we had any kids. Get through school, get established, save a little money, be able to enjoy just the two of us together for a while. Sonia was born one week before our first anniversary. Now let me tell you what happened. We had Sonia, two and a half years later we had Peter. By that five-year mark, Stella had to have a hysterectomy. If we had done it in our time, we would have never had children. I wouldn't have the two beautiful children I have today. I wouldn't have the, the grandchild that I have today. By the way, I got one in the oven. <laughs> not Sonia, Peter. But it's actually not Peter, it's his wife. Just so we're not sure there's no divine miracle going on up in Atlanta. But here's, here's the bottom, here's the story. God's timing was perfect. We would have done it in our timing. We would have never had the joy that God brought to our life in his time. And I can tell you story after story after story like that. See, God's time is perfect. And listen, I know right now whatever's going on in your life or whatever's going on in a friend's life, whatever, you're, you're thinking, now, God? Really? Now? And God's saying, yeah. Yeah, now. I know you don't see it, and you don't feel it, and, and, and there's a lot of fear involved in it, but now really is the perfect time. Finally, God's purpose is pure. Romans 8.28 reminds us, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those who have been called according to his purpose. See, we're bookend. It all starts with God is love. And it ends with God's purpose is pure. I don't know what's going on. I didn't know what was going on in my life. But I know this, and God showed it to me over and over again, that his purpose was pure. I, I could literally stand here for the rest of the afternoon and tell you story after story after story of how God upset our lives and upset my life and all that. And I questioned, and oftentimes I didn't have the really strong faith to go through it. I'm ashamed to tell you that, but I'm a human being just like you are. But you know what? God's purpose was always pure. See, that tapestry will make sense someday. Now, understand this about your life and about your hardship and about your circumstance right now. Now, I, I, I can't give you a reason for it. But I know this, that God is acting purely in your life. He's not acting to take you down. He's not acting to, to usurp power and over you. He is acting in your life in the most pure way that he can. 
Remember that verse we looked at from James, a half-brother of Jesus, James 1-2? It said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trial of any kind. How do we do that? Well, he goes on to tell us why. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything for what? For eternity. See, this is, a, this is a drop in a bucket. This is the testing ground. This is the proving grounds. And we don't learn new things about God, and our faith isn't built during the good times. We just kind of ride those out and enjoy them. Where we really grow and where we know about more God, and we, when we turn to him and where our relationship becomes more intimate is through the crucible of life hardships. And God says, I'm going to let that happen. And you kind of enjoy it. You know why? Because while it's happening, I'm doing some new things in your life. And I'm taking you to some new places. And I'm getting you ready for eternity. Remember that verse we looked at, 1 Peter 4.12? Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Well, Well, look how that goes on. It says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When's his glory going to be revealed? After his second coming. After his millennial kingdom. And what, what, what that is saying, what Peter, that original disciple, is saying, is that rejoice now that you're having some hardships because when you endure those hardships with faith, you are earning rewards. And when the whole thing is done, you're going to be overjoyed that you went through those experiences. You're going to be overjoyed that, that you had the opportunity to grow and to demonstrate your love and your faith. Revelation twenty two twelve. Jesus says, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone what he has done. See, we're going to get things not for the good times in our life. Man, we just roll with those. Those are happy. Those are good. Those are easy. But for the challenging times in our life, those are the things he's going to reward us for. God's purpose is pure. So when life Troubles and hardships hit. First thing is remember these five godly principles. Number one, God is love. Whatever's going on, it's a result of his love. He's acting out of love. Number two, God's at work around us. So start looking around. If you can't make any sense of this, say, man, maybe, maybe God's letting me experience this so I can be a blessing to somebody else. Who can I be a blessing to? Maybe my sickness right now. I can be a blessing to those, my doctors and nurses and medical technicians, and maybe they're without Christ, and I can be a testimony to them. And, and, and who, who is it that God is using you to bring comfort to with the comfort that he is either giving you or has given you in the past? Remember that God's perspective is vital. We don't understand. Don't try to connect the dots. It might not make any sense to you, but God's got it under control. And one day he'll let you see the other side of that tapestry. His timing's perfect, even though it seems like the worst possible moment for whatever's happening in your life to happen. God is doing that so that you will discover that he was in control, that he is control, and that he can do things that you would never imagine. And remember, his purpose for you is pure. It's motivated by love. And he's getting you ready to give you rewards that are unimaginable when he takes you home to an unimaginable place that the Bible says, eye has not seen nor ear heard nor has even entered into the imagination of the heart of what he's preparing for us. This is just a testing ground. So, where do you look? 
First look to God. What do you do? Come back next week. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. And God, thank you for the hard times. Oh, that's hard to say. That's hard to pray. It really is. But God, thank you for the hard times. Because it's in the hard times that we look to you. And as we look to you, you love us more. And you show us more how powerful you are in our lives. God, I pray for every man, every woman here today who's having a hardship. Lord, I pray that you'll minister to them right now. And God, help them to start by embracing these five truths about you. Because until we do that, we're not ready to take any steps. Next week, we'll discover what those steps are. But right now, God, may your mercy abound. May your presence be strong. May your peace that passes understanding be abundant in the lives of everyone here today. And God, may we glorify you with everything we are. In Jesus' name, amen.